Ever since I was a small boy, I've been obsessed with movies, books, and music. But as I grow older, I've begun to realize that these things increasingly miss the mark of fulfilling who we are meant to be. But they seem to have a common theme. They point us to a greater story, a greater adventure, a greater love, a greater joy. On this show, we dive into some of our favorite themes in songs, books, and movies so that we can begin the discussion of what our fascination with these stories actually reveal. A desire for something more. A desire for the unknown. A desire for love. A desire for God. Welcome to the adventure. Let's get started. Welcome back to the adventure. This is Clint. This is Steve. Hope y'all are doing well. We're excited to be back again. Uh, so we're finally back together after uh, a Thanksgiving break there. Yeah, uh, he, he went off and recorded with Brittany in Colorado. So I didn't really get to I wish you guys a happy Thanksgiving. So I know it's a little late, but happy Thanksgiving from me. Yeah, absolutely. It, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I always love going to Colorado. It's one of my favorite places to visit. It's really beautiful. So yeah. it's good to see my family again as well. And, That's good. Uh, yeah, I really didn't get to go home this year, but... Uh, but it ended up being, being alright. You know, I I was able to do some things here with uh, with some good people, so that was good. Yeah. So it's officially Christmas season. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, some people would argue that that started November first, but yeah, I but, would disagree. So Thanksgiving's actu- a thing. Actually, uh, no joke. November first, I went out, kind of shopping for uh, discount Halloween supplies. Yeah. And I walked into this store and. I was told they had 75% off Halloween supplies. So I was pretty excited. Yeah. And I walked in and it looked like Santa kind of threw up over the entire store. There's nothing but Christmas supplies uh, as far as the eye could see. And the store was massive. So, That's crazy. And that was, and that was November 1st. They had transitioned from from thanks, or from uh, Halloween, Halloween to, to Christmas in about 24 hours. Yep. So, yeah, we go right from, uh, right from the candy to the presents and skip right over the holiday about gratitude yeah. <laughs> um well, so speaking of which uh what uh what do you plan on doing for uh for christmas this year right it's coming up pretty soon yeah a couple it's starting of, to be the christmas season a couple weeks yeah so uh i'm actually i'm going back to iowa I'm gonna go see some of my friends from from college and high school and visit with my family we usually get together it's, it's kind of ironic actually when we get together for christmas we used to get together in a town that was so small that uh when when we all got together my family on my mom's side is so big that we would double the population of the town when my family got together oh. so uh well so we, we don't meet in that town anymore wow. but that was always kind of it's kind of like your hometown right yeah my hometown's pretty small too uh um but yeah so so what are you doing for for christmas uh well i'm gonna end up going home i'll probably see some friends obviously see my family I'm an only child, but I have a really large extended family. Uh, right. Both of my parents are uh, one of eight siblings, so so I have a really big family. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah I have a really, really big family. And so it'll be really good to see all of them. We're, we're pretty close. And I'll probably binge watch some shows yeah, like sure. the new Fox show, The Gifted, which is what we're going to talk to you guys about today. There's a show that probably a few weeks ago I just was like, hmm, I'm going to 
randomly binge watch a show today because I had some extra time and David wasn't around, so I didn't really have anyone to talk to. Uh, so I decided to start binge watching this show. Um, and I sort of watched like the first five or six episodes and then all the craziness of the season sort of came about. So right. yeah. um, I really didn't get too much of a chance to get super caught up. But essentially this, uh, this show takes place in the X-Men universe. For those of you who don't know who the X-Men are, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> you're kind of missing out on Yeah, that. you're missing out on a lot, and you are very not plugged in with pop culture um, if you've never heard of them. And so this is the right podcast for you. Anyway, it follows... And also, just to give you guys like a little bit... There's some spoiler alerts in here. I feel like we should do that more often. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll put it in the comments. Too, yeah. So okay, cool. Read the comment section before you listen to our podcast. Yeah, so... Anyway, it takes place in this universe, uh, the X-Men universe, where these mutants are sort of regulated and highly persecuted. It's sort of post, you know, the idea like the mutants have always sort of had that initially and then Professor X sort of works towards it and there's that civil rights idea in the 60s and this like parallel. Um, but it's actually actually after that. Uh, and it's revealed that there was something called uh, the July 15th incident, which is sort of like a 9-11 event in their minds, in which a peaceful mutant protest sort of turned ugly, and like several people died. Um, there's like a scene where one of like the, the main sort of antagonists lost his daughter in the incident because of like this giant energy blast. And so people sort of got really upset because uh, the X-Men and the Brotherhood of Mutants, which is like Magneto's group, mm -hmm. sort of been fighting each other, and like there was fallout among the general populace and so they they wanted more laws they wanted something to protect them and so they amended essentially like patriot act laws okay. uh, to deny certain rights to mutants mm -hmm. that use their powers in um, ways that were unsafe quote unquote uh, and it's also revealed that the x-men and the brotherhood of mutants have just seemingly disappeared shortly after the incident sort of leading way for the mutant underground which is actually kind of the protagonists of the group. Um, and they're sort of responsible for smuggling these mutant refugees refugees to safety uh, into other countries, mostly Mexico. Um, and just sort of like they're in trouble with the law because they've used their power. And they're not necessarily even dangerous or use their powers in a sort of dangerous way. Does, does it talk about where the X-Men went or why they just No, so that's actually one of the mutants. All right, It's one of the mysteries Mystery. of okay. the show. Um, is what actually happened to them and people don't even know if they're still around okay um, so maybe you'll find out later on yeah yeah so i might end up finding later out in the series um but the mutant underground clearly is sort of reminiscent of the underground railroad of america's sort of like pre-civil war civil right. war era and so anyway this incident has led to a, like i said a bunch of those new laws that are for the safety of ordinary people at the expense of mutants and essentially it sort of becomes illegal to use your powers now it's mentioned that it's not illegal to be a mutant but if you use your power and in any way like damages the property and then there's like this stigma against mutants to where like even if you were to use your power and you didn't even like damage anything or hurt anybody or use it against anybody, say you had the power to fly and you just needed to get to work, um, chances are you would still be arrested because you'd be causing like public distress. And so, like I said, uh, not for doing anything wrong. Yeah, not necessarily doing for, anything wrong. For just, for just for are. yeah, just for sort of who you are. I think that's an important distinction too. Yeah, and it's mentioned that there are mutant civil rights laws, uh, as we kind of see from some of the movies. That was something that Professor X fought for. Um, but as one of the characters, Eclipse, points out, all they need to do is say that you're dangerous, and all of those rights are gone. 
right? Because you can be detained without warrant, you can be detained indefinitely, you know, there are all these things. And you sort of be arrested and simply disappear to some far off secret facility. And as the show sort of progresses along in that early part of the season, we learn that this facility actually reprograms mutants' minds so that they serve the Sentinel Services, which is the government agency that's sort of tasked with tracking and incarcerating the mutants. And I thought it was really interesting because the Sentinels in the comic book, if and I, I haven't seen the movie Days of Future Past, but the Sentinels are like these robots that sort of lead to the end of the world. Like they sort of gain sentience. Like they're the ones who destroy the X-Men and they actually have to like go back in time to like... Yeah prevent that from happening and so they're like these little mini robots that they call the sentinels and i'm kind of in my mind like is this like a precursor to that is this like what happened between oh, okay that like led to that destruction yeah, that could be something we could check out too. um then it's a kind of an interesting thought that i had but but we see that there was a former member of the mutant underground uh was shot and presumed dead in a flashback in one of the episodes and then later in that episode he was with the sentinel uh services and he was an agent working against the mutant underground and he seemingly had no memory of his former best friends and colleagues. Okay. Uh, and so there was, and he has like this ta- like mysterious tattoo. So there's something like clearly rights are being violated. Right. Some um, kind of brainwashing going on. Right. To, to re- reprogram them to make them. Yeah. To basically serve, right? To right. not to no longer have freedom, but to be these like basically weaponized people. And it mainly centers around this city prosecutor who is sort of against mutants and his family at the beginning. And then it finds out that his children have the X gene. So in the lore of the show and in, in X-Men in general, powers generally appear in moments of like distress and they're necessarily, they're like hard to control at first. It's part of the reason that Professor X had the, the X-Men in the Academy yeah. and, and like to train people to use their powers. So the son is being bullied when his powers manifest and he basically destroys most of the school. Um, he has some sort of like ability to just sort of like destroy things. <laughs> and so... He doesn't actually hurt anybody. I mean, the school sort of gets a little damaged, um, but he was at, it was an accident, and he was acting in self-defense, and the Sentinel services come to sort of take him away. Like, And there's no warrant. The the, the mother, uh, obviously, with the, the father being a prosecutor, is like, he has rights as a citizen, this and that, and they're like, if it's for public safety, we just need to take him in. And the father even says the only other time he's seen Sentinel services come into one of his things, uh, one of his cases, the mutant disappeared, never to be heard from again. And so, like, these are the people who sort of send you away to these facilities. So even though the father was a A prosecutor, prosecutor, he was mm -hmm. still defending his son. Yeah, so he ends up finding all of this out, and he finds out his daughter was also a uh, a mutant. Um, She has the ability to, like, create force fields. Um, And it sort of shakes his his worldview because he always thought he was doing something good. And so they enter into um, this thing where they always thought they were doing the right thing. They thought that they were protecting society from dangerous mutants and there's this this really scathing scene um of a flashback when the before the son has his powers but the the daughter is being able to use hers the family's out bowling um and there's this little girl being bullied and the father is yelling at these kids like stop just leave her alone because she's like she like vibrates like her face is vibrating and they're like oh she looks like a washing machine and they're like (laughs) teasing her and making fun of her and the daughter's like dad why don't you do something? And he's like, that's not our problem. Um, just let it go. And then, like, they just keep making fun and they're, like, they're throwing things. And, like, the father's, like, getting really upset and, like, on the verge of tears. And then the little girl's like, stop! And, like, this wave of basically air. And it doesn't do any damage. It just is, like, a big puff of air and, like, the table shift a little bit. And the father goes up to him and he's like, I'm a, I'm a prosecutor and what you did was illegal. You two need to leave. And he basically is like, do what's right for your daughter and just leave. 
now to like the father and this daughter who are being heckled and and the girl brings up a good point of why do they have to be the one that leaves they didn't do anything wrong right but this is sort of the 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 world in which they live in now um, where everyone's so fearful of mutants that it sort of excuses this other behavior Mm -hmm. and so he ends up using uh, the father ends up using his uh, connections to get a hold of the documents that he was using against one of the mutant underground that they captured to get in touch with them to sort of help smuggle his family across the border. Uh, And then there's a lot of things that sort of happen and they're sort of fighting against the Sentinel services, but but he ends up working towards saving his family and and eventually now they've decided they want to actually help the mutant underground uh, with their abilities and their powers and like what he knows and he's able to like decipher the code through the radio waves because he knows like how the police handle these cases and things like right. that. So he's, he's trying to help them because you start to see sort of the underbelly of this and the way that people are mistreated. And, you know, there's a scene where they go to the hospital because they need to get medicine to, like, save one of the mutants' lives. And the the mother, you know, the prosecutor's wife is a yeah. nurse, and so she knows what medicine. So they, they go in, and earlier Eclipse, the one I mentioned before he was shot, um, and so they go in and like, he's fine, but like they make it seem like it's worse than it is so that he can get stitched up and they go to this hospital. Um, and since they've been on the run and things like she has, um, a bruise on her forehead and the doctor automatically assumes that, you know, that they were a couple and that he, uh, the mutant was physically beating her and being abusive. And he claims that he's like, well, we all know that mutants have a history of abuse. Right. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, He's like basically prejudiced against these mutants. And she's like, I assure you that it's not that kind of situation. And he calls the police anyway. And the, the and this is like when a clip says that like all those rights go out the window sort of thing. But he also says, he's like, I'm surprised that he stitched me up first. Because like usually like if a mutant would go into the hospital, they would just be declared dangerous and arrested even if they didn't necessarily do anything. Wow. Um, and so that's sort of like the worldview in which we play on. And it's scathing because uh, it's clearly a a parody of, of culture that we have. But yeah. I think it really exemplifies um, the dangers of scapegoating within a culture. Yeah. And, and yeah. I, th- I think, like, just looking at scapegoating in general, so if, if we if we think about kind of the practice of scapegoating, first of all, has, like, it, it's been in, in every community throughout history, yeah. you know, so the, the practice of uh, blaming a certain group or a certain person for something that, that wasn't their fault just so that we can get the fault away from mm-hmm. from ourselves, right? So that's something that has always happened throughout history, unfortunately. But the word scapegoat itself, like it actually comes from uh, Hebrew culture, mm-hmm. right? So specifically we look in uh, Levit- Leviticus, I think it was like chapter 16 or something like that, mm-hmm. where a goat was chosen to be cast into the desert and it kind of takes on the sins of the community. So as we push this goat out into the desert, it goes out there. Uh, and it, it brings all of our sins with it. And, yeah, and it basically goes off to die. Right. So um, as the, the goat dies, so do our sins in a way. It's kind of the mentality of it. Right. Um, and so, like I said, the show really shows the problems of scapegoating, right? These dangers of blaming an entire group for an offense and judging those people on the actions of another and not their own. It's mentioned that, like I said, that Sentinel Services agent uh, who lost his daughter. He says, I don't know if the blast that killed my daughter was from one of the good guys or the bad guys, and frankly, I don't care. Right? Wow. Because he lost his daughter, and he doesn't care if 
it was whose blast it was like mutants need to pay because his like young daughter was was killed in the july 15th incident and so there's a uh, contemporary literary theorist named Rene Girard and that is speculated that almost all human societies are grounded in what he calls the scapegoating mechanism. Um, this is where we sort of discharge our societal tensions onto a victim who we collectively decide needs to be punished. Um, in the case of the gifted, this is anyone who has the X gene, which I think is ironic because as we see from this like prosecutor's family, you don't even need to be from a family. Like, you can have two mutants that would have a mutant child, but you could have two non-mutants, and they could still end up having somebody with the X gene as a child. And so in that, we momentarily managed to bring peace and stability to the volatile communities. That's part of, like, the scapegoating, right? Right. Is it, it people band together for this? And so it actually brings about, like, at least in the moment, this, this sense of stability and security. Yeah, kind of the idea of sacrificing the, the minority mm-hmm. for the seemingly betterment of the the majority right in a way right and so it's like actually one of the main reasons it's super popular among governments and demagogues throughout time Um, and it tends to get sort of a pseudo-religious sanction right where anything goes as long as it's for that stability Mm -hmm. right like people really become zealots for it and um, they almost treat it as if it's you know their religion or their god in itself you know is 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 for the stability and the betterment of that community. Right. A lot in, of the time that gets uh, kind of blended with, with nationalism nowadays. It's, it's for the betterment of the for the country or for the betterment of the people. Right. And if you guys, like, you know, are, are, are struggling to see how this is, look what Hitler was able to do just by scapegoating the Jews. Yeah. Right? Like, he was able to do horrible things because he was just able to get people to blame them for their society's problems, right? They were in the midst of their own Great Depression, and he just blamed it on them. And all of a sudden, you have six million Jews that were killed in the concentration camps. Yeah, and I think there's kind of a, a smaller example of that in, in our daily lives, right? Mm-hmm. We look at, I don't know, maybe a sibling. We, we blame our sibling for something that we did to, to get out of it. Or we blame, you know, the unpopular kid at school because it's easier to get away with when, when we push the blame off on someone else. But uh, whatever level we're at, maybe it's even... Uh, like in the office, you know, at work, maybe yeah. we do something wrong and we push it off on someone else to try and get it away from from us. And right, and and really, if you want to see it as like a societal thing, we can really um, turn on the news at yeah. some point. Seriously. You know, you'll see it everywhere, um, whether it be you know a political party or a race or a religion. There's a lot of scapegoating that happens here and now. You yeah, know, absolutely. Um, and it, it's really funny because Gerard found something that actually startled him, this sort of reality that sort of he wasn't anticipating seeing, even though he was raised as a Catholic. But he found that the only religion, philosophy, or ideology in human history that did not have the scapegoating mechanism was Christianity. Interesting. That every other society or religion or philosophy or ideology had some sort of scapegoating associated with it. Um, but that Christianity at its core taught peace instead of violence, love of enemy instead of the condemnation of others, and forgiveness over wrongfully judging another for actions they, themsel- they themselves did not commit. And in fact, Christ entered solely into solidarity with the scapegoat as he became the ultimate scapegoat for sins when he died on the cross, exposing the scapegoating mechanism for what it is, a lie. 
and, and we see this like when we talk about scapegoats, right? That, that Christ was a sacrificial lamb, but he was also the scapegoat, right? He took on the sins of everybody, even though he himself was not sinful, and he died for that. Right, yeah. So like the idea of a, a scapegoat as literally being a person or an animal that takes on the sins of others, like, that's exactly who Christ is, right? That's exactly why he became man. That's, so like you said, we see him as the sacrificial lamb, but as the lamb, he also kind of takes on the role of the, this, this goat, this uh, scapegoat who was sent out, you know, who was pushed out uh, in order to take on the, the sins of, of his people, you know? Right, and, and, and to a certain extent, like, you see Christ, he's not entering in with these violent people, um, or sometimes even the people who sometimes might claim they're Christian, but they're, they're following into the scapegoating mechanism, but he ultimately enters into solidarity with the persecuted, right. the ones who are actually struggling, the ones who are actually, you know, we see him, um, you know, God throughout all time, even in the Old Testament, has wanted to care for the outsider and the outcast, the widow, the orphan, you know, these people who are on the outer rungs of society that um, that we we want to say it's their problem, right? You know, look at the movie The Purge. I know it's really interesting, and people don't always catch this, but The Purge actually had a lore behind it beyond just murdering people. The original Purge in like in the lore of that sh- in that movie was basically these government people came together, and there was a real problem with homelessness. And they decided if we make it legal to kill everybody and we scapegoat the poor, then they'll just kill all of the homeless. And it worked. And they were just right. like, we'll just continue to do this. And, the sh- it, you know, you had a lot of people. There was no more homeless. There were lots of jobs because people were getting killed. And so their jobs were open. And so it brought about the stability and, um, and sort of security that it promised, but at what cost? You know, we really see it even in that movie. Yeah, I mean... I think that those those movies are definitely um, terrifying, and obviously that's not a point where we are in our society today. But uh, it definitely teaches us a lot about the realities of of scapegoating, and yeah. kind of makes it bigger and, and shows us uh, what what it could look like on a larger scale yeah. uh, if we if we don't figure out what's going on. Right. I'm gonna I'm gonna give a quote from Seeds of the Word by uh, Bishop Robert. Baron. Yeah, that's one of the books that we, we quoted a while back, I think, in like one of the first in episodes. In the first episode, yeah. It, in the first episode, we kind of talked about how this book gave us some, some guidelines of what we were trying to do. Um, but he talks about, it's, it's when he's sort of, actually, he's talking about Hunger Games, um, but it's still sort of very similar. Uh, he says, The crucified Jesus is hence the undermining of the dynamic that has undergirded most civilizations and that continues to beguile the human imagination to this day. Human sacrifice flourished in the midst of some of the most sophisticated and intellectually advanced civilizations in history. It is demonstrably the case, and not just a matter of speculation, that what brought these sacrifices to an end in both the Roman and Aztec contexts was nothing other than the influence of Christianity, the religion centered on a crucified Lord. Wow. I've never actually thought about that before. That's a really good point. Yeah, and so we, we, we find ourselves in its own culture, our own culture of death. You know, we have abortion, we have all these other things, and that the religion of the one who chose death so that we could have life is really the only the only counter to this. And, and sort of the scapegoating mechanism, you know, because the scapegoating mechanism is sort of what's used a lot in those cultures of death, is ultimately a lie, right? That, that people are not anything other 
than fellow brothers and sisters and fellow children of God, right? That they're nothing short of individuals with human dignity because they're made in the image and likeness of God, right? right? I think in today's culture, we really can find scapegoating anywhere. Like I said, we can find it, whether it be a political party or a politician or the member of a particular race or religion. And as Christians, like it's our job to stand in opposition of this, to remember Christ's scathing challenge for he his, who is without sin to cast the first stone, to enter into solidarity with those people because we ourselves are sinners. Because we need to, as Christians, treat people with love first and judge people by the fact that they are fellow sinners, spiritual brothers and sisters, and children of God, and not to judge them by some societal prejudice. Yeah, I think that's really good. Do you have, do you have like a dis- like distinct challenge for us this week? I know that's kind of your thing to throw out yeah. a challenge each week. You know, I think we really need to examine ourselves. There's a there's a book I have uh, that I've that I've not quite started reading, but have sort of skimmed through. It's called Render Unto Caesar, and it's this idea of being a Christian, a Catholic in modern day politics, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, while I am no, it is no secret that I uh, am not a fan of of huge governments, that I think that part of the reason that the gifted is so scary is because it's this majority tyranny, right? right? And that ultimately, like, smaller communities or whatever like and and this isn't a political podcast but but that's sort of my idea but but that we do need to enter into politics that that as christians and as catholics and i'm not necessarily saying like get super political about it but that we have an obligation to to go out there and better our society right like that we are first and foremost catholics before we're necessarily an american or whatever other citizen we are that we're first and foremost you know, subjects to a kingdom before we're citizens to a country. And that like our divine law comes first. And so I guess, I guess my challenge ultimately would, would sort of be, look, there are, there are ways in our lives, not necessarily like within like the political sphere or like, you know, fighting for pro-life, right? Like going to the March for Life, things like that and entering in the political sphere, but also just even in the private sphere of, you know, when we go out and we see somebody mistreated, when we see somebody who is judged or prejudiced, or we find somebody who has sort of prejudice or racism or things like that, and, and standing to correct them. I know we oftentimes don't want to be confrontational, right? We tend to want to avoid confrontation. But there's something to be said about St. Thomas Aquinas said that the greatest act of love is to lead another to truth, right? And so even if it's uncomfortable for us and for them that out of love for another, like sometimes we need to correct them. We need to not like in a mean way, but just being like, Hey, like right. that is a human being too. And like they deserve your love because you know, Christ said that's how we're going to be known, right? For our love for one another. Like that's how people can tell they're Christians. And I think the fact that people view Christianity as is judgmental and not loving is, is, is kind of on us in a lot of ways. Yeah. So I guess to, to kind of narrow that down, our, our challenge for you this week is to, to look around in your life. Where, where do you see these scapegoating? Maybe it's on the big scale. Maybe it's on a smaller scale. Even in your household, uh, maybe you're the one that's scapegoating. Uh, however that is, just kind of recognize that 
and uh, stand up to that this week, whether that's uh, kind of catching yourself when you're blaming someone else or maybe that's like Steve was saying, uh, lovingly calling someone out for, for what they're, they're scapegoating. So that's, uh, that's our adventure for, for this week. So whatever you're doing this week, go ahead and kind of just reflect on that as you go about what you're doing, whatever your adventure is. So We want to thank you guys again so much for continuing to listen to our podcast. I hope we haven't scared you away yet. I also would like to remind you guys to subscribe to us on Spotify and iTunes. Oh, not Spotify. Oh, not Spotify. SoundCloud. SoundCloud. Yeah. I wish we were on Spotify. Maybe we'll do that next. Yeah. Try and get us on Spotify. Yeah. Uh, so SoundCloud and iTunes, make sure you subscribe. Please leave us a positive review so that more people can see our content. And be sure to email us. Uh, we would love to hear from you guys, uh, whether it be encouragement or ideas and challenges. Because, you know, sometimes it's, I don't know about you, Clint, but like, sometimes we want to be able to stay relevant. And I don't see every movie that's out there Uh, so if you guys have something in particular you want us to to talk about we we can surely do that but anything you guys want to hear uh, specifically because honestly this podcast really wouldn't be a thing if you guys didn't listen so we want to give you guys what you want and, and and feed you where you feel you need fed so be sure to email us like and subscribe and thank you guys for joining us for the adventure yeah before we we bounce out i want to do some uh some shout outs real quick okay uh yeah so I can't believe I haven't uh, done this yet, but I want to give a shout out to my teens. Uh, so my, my teens from my youth ministry program that I'm running, uh, I don't know how I've put it off this long, but I want to thank you all for listening too. Uh, you guys have been awesome, really welcoming me to, to this community and to the parish and everything. So especially my teen leaders, I know there's a bunch of y'all who are listening to the podcast and following us. So I appreciate y'all and, and all that you do. So I want to give you a shout out. Do you got anything for us? Any shout outs? I don't think so. Uh, not this week, but but maybe in a future podcast, I'll shout you out if you ask me to. I don't really yeah, know. There uh, you go. So, all right. Hey, guys. Thank you again, and uh, thanks for joining the adventure. Congratulations! If you're still listening to this, either you realize that because this is a Marvel-related podcast, there would be, of course, a post-credit after the outro finished, or you were just too lazy to end the podcast. Either way, you are a winner! All you have to do is send us an email at thechristinculture at gmail.com with the word gifted, and you will be given a shout-out on an upcoming podcast. Thanks again for joining us on the adventure and may God bless you.